0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org.
1: So for the last month or more, I've been exploring the teachings on the Four Noble Truths. And last week I started on the Second Noble Truth, The Truth of the Cause of Suffering. But since there's a number of you here who haven't been here, I'll do a little bit of a, of a recap. Um, the Four Noble Truths are the, the foundational teachings of the Buddha. And the Buddha said that all of the teachings that he gave over the 40-some years of his teachings were actually subsumed by the Four Noble Truths. So everything that he taught can somehow be tied back to the Four Noble Truths. And so that's how I've been exploring these these teachings with each one. I'm exploring the various other teachings that are connected to the Four Noble Truths. So just to kind of put it out there, the Four Noble Truths, uh, the first noble truth is the truth of suffering. There is suffering in uh, our experience. And um, the second noble truth, the truth of the cause of suffering, that the suffering is... Not simply just unpleasant experience that 's not what 's meant by suffering in the the Buddhist teaching, but rather our reactivity to experience is what is defined as this um, first noble truth of suffering that when we react to experience when we don't when we 're not simply able to just meet experience as it is, but in some way like it don 't dislike it want to have it different, want to get rid of things, change things, manipulate things, control things, that creates an agitation in our minds. It creates a struggle in our minds. And that struggle is the the foundation, the seed for all of our um, difficulty uh, in our lives, the, the kind of the emotional difficulties that we have, the um, the difficulties, interpersonal difficulties, it all comes back to this um, reactivity to what's happening out there. It's that that suffering, our, our suffering, our struggles in our lives are not inherent in what's out in the world, but rather have to do with how we react to things. And so this reactivity um, is really the um, the cause of our suffering, the term that the Buddha uses for it is craving, um, so this is the second noble truth. the truth of the cause of our suffering is this craving <coughs> wanting things to be other than they are essentially that might be the easiest way to phrase that. then the third noble truth is the truth of the um, the the ending of suffering the possibility actually the the good news about the fact that the suffering is created by reactivity in our minds is that it means that because it's created by our minds that it's possible for it to end. That we can train our minds um, and understand how this reactivity comes to be and see, seeing that this reactivity results in suffering, the mind starts to let go of it. And the possibility that this teaching puts forward is that it's possible to be completely free of suffering. This meaning, uh, one one phrase that I like is that uh, when somebody has experienced this freedom from suffering, they experience no mental pain or grief. And if you think about that, you know how much of your suffering comes from mental struggling. Um, that that possibility of no mental pain or grief is pretty amazing. So that's what the, the, the teachings offer, that this is a possibility. It's, it's, it's something that can be realized. And then the fourth noble truth is that there is a path, a way to cultivate our hearts and minds to lead us to begin to be able to understand this reactivity, to understand how our suffering comes to be, so that our minds will start to let go of it. And this is the path, the noble eightfold path, leading to the ending of suffering. And these Four Noble Truths, they're not truths that are sort of stated out as metaphys- metaphysical propositions meant to just be believed. They are, um, the Buddha said, you know, these, these are truths of reality that their suffering, and that this suffering has a cause, and that it's possible through the cultivation of the path that uh, this suffering can come to an end. And so his, his suggestion is that we need to act on these truths, that we need to try to understand our suffering, that this understanding of suffering will support a letting go of its cause. So the first noble truth, the actions on the first noble truth is to understand suffering. second noble truth, the action is to let go of the cause of suffering. The third noble truth is meant to be realized. And the fourth noble truth, the path is meant to be cultivated or developed. So the second noble truth, the truth of the cause of suffering, the Buddha stated that cause is our Reactivity, the craving, the wanting things to be other than they are. But it's, it's important, I think, to really notice and recognize that um, the Buddha stated that suffering has a cause. This is an important part of his teaching. Actually, it's kind of embedded in the entirety of the Four Noble Truths, this cause and, cause and effect um, model, the, uh, the first two noble truths, suffering and the cause of suffering. So the second noble truth, the cause of suffering is the cause and the first noble truth is the effect. Wanting is the cause. Wanting things to be other than they are is the cause. Suffering is the result. Suffering is the effect. And in the uh, third and fourth noble truths, the, the path leading to the ending of suffering, cultivating that path, developing that path, is a cause leading to the third noble truth, the ending of suffering. So the fourth noble truth is the cause, the third noble truth, the effect. This notion of cause and effect is deeply um, embedded into the Buddhist teachings. And um, that's essentially what I'd like to talk about today. Um, How this, you know, this... uh, the understanding of the cause and effect nature of our mental lives, our experience, and the results, the way that we experience things, how things kind of rebound on us, that there is a a kind of a a cause and effect relationship there that's understood to be a very natural law. This law is called karma. Now karma is a, a... and a word that's very known in our culture. It seems to be out there in television land and radio land and just in the, the atmosphere. Um, but it's not necessarily very well understood what it actually means in terms of the teachings of the Buddha. And, and in fact, I think often um, what is called karma in... Um, modern, you know, just the way we use the the term in, in our conversations when people talk about it, it's got a, kind of a different meaning than what is meant in the Buddhist teaching. So I want to talk a little bit about this under this teaching of the Second Noble Truth, because the Second Noble Truth really brings this notion of cause and effect in to the teaching, and this teaching of karma is one of the main um, framings of the cause and effect model so karma is is understood to be a kind of a natural law it's an it's an ethical law but it's a natural law that the buddha seems to that the buddha feels is kind of embedded in the nature of life Much as gravity, the law of gravity, is embedded in the nature of the material universe, uh, the Buddha says this law of karma is just the nature of living beings. That, and, And kind of succinctly stated, we could say that the law of karma is the capacity of intentional action to produce an ethically appropriate result. That's a statement from uh, one teacher, Bhikkhu Bodhi, um, the way he phrases this. So the capacity of our intentional actions to produce an ethically appropriate result. So there's a couple of pieces to that that I'll explore with you. And one is that um, intentional action is a key here. It's not simply our behavior, our actions. It's, it's not... Um, um, just what is done with our bodies that gives a kind of a rebound onto our mental experience. So for example, just a simple kind of example that might make this clear. Um, if a a woman cuts a man's chest open with a knife and he dies, then the results of that, or the kind of rebound, the results of that action are going to be very different depending on the intention that goes with that action. If the, a woman is a surgeon and she's performing surgery on the man, open-heart surgery, and he dies, there's one intention behind that, a wholesome intention of trying to save the man's life if the woman is a um jilted lover and is acting out of rage and is stabbing the man with a knife very different uh consequences to that so that's that's what is meant by the inten- the the association of the intention with the action that it's not just the action but the kind of motivation behind the action that gives the direction to our lives and the uh, kind of the, points us in the direction of unfolding either towards more and more happiness or more and more struggle, despair, depression, frustration, suffering. So the, um, this intention, intention piece is very important with respect to understanding this law of karma. So the understanding is that um, if we act with skillful motivation, if our intention is accompanied by uh, the motivation towards uh, kindness, compassion, generosity, in short non-greed, non-aversion, non-delusion, that will tend to lead us towards more happiness. If our actions and intentions toward those actions are accompanied by unwholesome, unskillful motivations, Motivations out of greed, out of aversion, out of delusion—that will tend to lead us in the direction of suffering. So this, um, you know, karma. So this is this, is, as the Buddha is understanding this as a natural law. You know, it's not—it's not, it's not that, that that there's some um, some body or something making judgment on our actions. It is just the kind of natural unfolding of things that if we are behaving in a way that we're motivated by greed, by aversion, by delusion, that the consequences of that rebound on us and we feel it as struggle, as suffering. And likewise, if we are behaving in a way that's motivated out of um, kindness out of compassion out of wisdom generosity that will rebound on us in a way that we are f- we feel it as happiness so the ethics of the buddhist teachings aren't the ethics of society per se they're the ethics of this natural law and essentially the Buddha, in looking at experience, he was looking at suffering and saying, you know, this is this is the central problem of human existence, this suffering. So what can we do about it? What can we, How can we understand it? What can we explore so that we can become free of this? And he saw that the law of karma, that when we behave in this way, this is what produces suffering. When we behave in this way, this is what produces happiness. That this law, it's central to understand this law so that we can then um, act in a way that will be for our happiness as opposed to act in a way that leads us more towards suffering. So one thing I want to just... um, now talk about is the kind of distinction between this action itself and the result of the action. The, the action itself, the intentional action, that is what is understood to be the karma in the Buddhist use of the term karma. It is the intention behind the action, that motivation, that kind of propels us in a particular direction, that is the, um, that's what we call the karma. The result of that is called the result of karma. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's got a poly term, which I don't need to tell you, but uh, it, it's, it's basically just there's karma and the result of karma. And I think in our daily use of karma, you know, some, often what people say, something happens to you, you know, you, you have some event happen to you, and, and uh, you know, something good happens to you, or something bad happens to you, whatever. And people say, oh, it's your karma. You know, and, and that's really referring to the result. So I think in terms of the modern day use of the term, it, it has shifted to mean the result of karma, as opposed to that, that the intention, the action that we do ourselves. That is what it is is meant in the Buddha's sense. Now the consequences, the results of our actions, of these intentional actions, that can be immediate, or it can happen over time. So this law of karma is not a simplistic law. In fact, one of the things the Buddha said about karma was that the web of karma is vast and the workings of karma are so complex that if you try to figure them out, like in this moment, what is it that I've done? What are all the causes that have come into this moment that have made this result happen? If you try try to understand the, the vastness of that web, you'll go mad. So he didn't recommend that we try to figure all of that out. But he did say that if we look at our experience in this moment, can we connect with a skillful intention to act in this moment, that will lead us in the right direction and that's the important piece, to look in this moment. What is my motivation? Am I motivated out of kindness, out of compassion? Am I motivated out of anger, out of frustration, out of wanting, out of desire, out of confusion? And to see if we can begin to If we can't, if we can't, if we, the, first, the first exploration of this is not to try to just stop these unskillful motivations but turn towards it and begin to recognize, oh, there's some unskillful motivation happening here. And that very exploration, that turning towards, is the beginning of letting go of those unskillful motivations so that we can begin to see them and the very seeing of them sometimes can support a letting go. Sometimes not. Sometimes sometimes we're in the middle of anger. You know, there's no way that we can... It, the, the anger is kind of strong sometimes and there's no way that we can stop that from outpouring into our speech or something. And, and so what we get to do in that point is get to, to watch what the consequences of that action are. And just see, you know turn towards that experience. And this actually is part of the learning of our mindfulness practice. That when we see, I mean, I think that the, the seeing with mindfulness that certain actions accompanied by certain motivations lead to the consequences of suffering. As the mind starts to see that and understand that, the mind begins to recognize, oh, that's not so helpful. So when we actually directly see the consequences, we, um, the, the mind begins to let go of those causes. And likewise, as we see the consequences of engaging out of kindness, out of compassion, the mind kind of recognizes, oh, this is, this is nice, this feels good, this is kind of the direction that uh, I want to go. And it begins to more, more and more move in that direction. So the the consequences of our actions, as I said a minute ago, can be immediate or they can take some time to unfold. And this is part of this complexity of this web of karma, that um, our actions may not have immediate consequences. They can have kind of lingering consequences over time. A good analogy for this potential, the potential that our actions have to produce results, is the analogy of a seed. Um, Because if you have a seed, you know, that seed can sit in an envelope for decades and never do anything. You know, that seed has been created, harvested, put into an envelope for somebody, and there it is, sitting on a shelf in a gardening shop for a very long time. So it's not producing its result. But if somebody buys that package and then sprinkles them in the garden... Now, some of those seeds, you know, this is sounds very like one of the Christian parables, right? You know, it's sprinkling those seeds. Some of those seeds fall in, in, in good soil. Some of those seeds fall in bad soil. Some of those seeds will be watered. Some will not be watered. Some may be eaten by birds or other things. So, you know, there's, there's different... Um, uh, all of those seeds are not going to produce a plant, but but some of those seeds, some of those seeds will, falling onto fertile soil, will sprout, will ripen, and at various times. And some of them may be falling on. Um, you know, one one seed gets eaten by a bird, and then gets expelled someplace else, and then sprouts later. Other seeds, you know, may sprout after, you know, just getting watered in the garden. So the consequences, the kind of blending of conditions comes together to allow the uh, fruition of that seed to sprout. And it's very like that with our intentions, that consequences Um, conditions come together to lead to the fruition of our intentions. So for example, I mean a simple example such as um, telling a lie, Um, there may be an immediate consequence of some agitation in the mind after you've told a lie, or perhaps an immediate consequence of, you got out of that one, Um, you know, kind of a feeling of relief or whatever the conditions for whether or not that, or when that karma comes to be, and how it comes to be, um, you know, it may be three years down the road that that friend finds out that you told a lie. And then there may be some other consequences of that action that was done so long ago. So the, the kind of the network there of um, how cause and effect works, we can see is not just a simple, you know, in this moment we do something in the next moment there's a result. It's much broader than that. The other part of this um, teaching is kind of like with the seeds, you know, that the, that that um, the karma karma is not deterministic. You know, it is not to say that every single seed planted with a motivation of aversion or a motivation of delusion will produce a certain kind of result. So I act out of anger in a moment and there will be some consequence to that. But the consequence to that kind of depends on a larger climate of our minds, of of experience. I'll give another analogy um, so, if you um, think about kicking a soccer ball, you know you've, you've, the ball is here, and if you kick it from this direction, from from one side, it tends to go in a trajectory that way. So, we could think of that as being, you know, the karma is the, you know, the the um, the swinging of the leg. And hitting the ball from one side, that's the intention. And the result is the direction that the ball moves. So it tends to go in that direction. But then there might be a strong wind blowing. Either the strong wind blowing this way, you know, kind of in the same direction that we're kicking the ball. And in that case, the, the ball is going to go much further than it would if it was a still day. Or we might be kicking the ball, and the wind is blowing the other direction, and depending on the force of the wind that that ball you know may actually curve and go the other way so the um the kind of the climate of our minds, the way that we've acted in the past the the um, you know if we have if we have been. Primarily acting in skillful ways, telling a small lie will probably have smaller consequences for us. It, it may manifest in, in a smaller consequence than it would if somebody tells a small lie who's had a history of really unskillful actions. another analogy that the Buddha uses for this he says, you know, sometimes somebody does some unwholesome action you know, two people, two different people do the same unwholesome action with a similar motivation and, you know, a trifling unwholesome action he talks about, he says two, two people do this trifling unwholesome action and for one person it's barely felt even for an instant the results of that But for another person, it sends them into deep suffering. And he compares it to um, a salt, a little bit of teaspoon of salt. If you put a teaspoon of salt into a small glass of water and try to drink that water, it's not going to be drinkable. But if you take that teaspoon of water and put it into a large, pure lake of water and then take a glass of water, you're not going to notice that salt. So there's a sense of the, kind of the climate, or the purity, or the, um, the sense of how we have acted gives a, kind of a field in which this, in which our intentions sprout. So it's, the karma is not a simple deterministic law. It's, as I said, it's kind of got these vast, you know, workings. It's, um, so we can't simply say something like, you know, well, if you kill people, you know, you'll go to hell. You know, that's kind of a deterministic kind of thing. And in the Buddhist day, that was one of the teachings. You know, somebody is a murderer, then they'll be reborn in hell. And the Buddha's teaching wasn't that simplistic. And his understanding of karma, his understanding of karma was that it's, um, it's not that simplistic. That actually it is possible for people to change the course of their minds. I think that's, that's one of the, the big, um, great... Uh, kind of the good news, I think, of, of what the Buddha taught. That... You know, no matter what you've done in the past, it's possible to, at this moment, start acting differently. It's hard to to start acting differently because the momentum of our actions is kind of carrying us in this direction. But it's possible through turning our attention towards our experience to, to begin to Recognize, okay, this isn't helpful. This is taking me to suffering. Maybe I cannot act on that. This is helpful. Maybe I can act on that. So that mindfulness helps us to change the course of our lives. So the karma of being mindful is very potent. So mindfulness itself is an intentional action. So it has a a result. So this karma of being mindful is one of the most powerful things that we can, can do to change the course of our lives. Let's see if there's anything more for me to say at the moment. I think I'll I'll just stop there and see if there's any questions. Um, often this topic is one that is helpful to explore with question and answer. So see if there's anything. Yeah, oh, could we use the mics? Go ahead and use the mic. So, um, uh, is, I don't think it's on. Have to push the button on the side. So um back to B- Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So back to Biku Bodhi. Um I've been reading a chapter of his on intention and he talks very specifically about retributive consequences and it really bothered me and I actually went back to the dictionary to double check that I didn't misunderstand the meaning and it and it uh, really does mean reward and punishment. <laughs> and so it made me wonder whether he might just be using it in a more specialized way, the word, the vocabulary, or whether the tradition did talk in more of a reward-punishment way and as Westerners were kind of, you know, making it more psychological. Um, you know, the Buddha didn't, I mean, there's one, there one place where um, the Buddha actually equated this law of karma with the law of gravity, you know, so that it is, he said, you know, suppose people throw a big stone into a pond. He says, is it possible by people gathering around and saying, good stone, please rise from the pond, would that that happen? It's like, no. And and, and, um, it's just like that. He said, karma is like that. Um, And so I really don't see reward and punishment in the in the teachings. Now, retributive... I think that just means the rebound. I think Bhikkhu Bodhi maybe just means the rebound effect of, of our... Our actions have consequences. You know, that, that it is a... Um, I think that's all that he's saying, is that, that that when we take an action, it has consequences. It's not um, based on our wishes of whether or not it have con- consequences or whether we think it should or shouldn't have consequences that the intentions, the motivations that we act with will have consequences for us. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I don't look at it as reward and punishment. And in fact, you know, I think, well, I'm not sure if it's, it's in explicitly not that way in the suttas, but yeah, I don't, I don't look at it that way. Yeah, it's it's interesting you know when we talk about this sometimes um you know especially when we're talking about like the precepts of you know refraining from lying and refraining from stealing and things like that and and people say well what if what if i'm taking something or what if i'm lying because you know it um you know it would hurt the person to to not lie or something and you know it's it's um it's kind of like we want to know so what are the what are the ways that we can break these rules <laughs> you know we th- we're thinking of it in terms of of you know legal consequences in a way that these are laws made by society and what are the kind of edges where it's okay to do something or or whatever and and this isn't that kind of a law you know if that uh, even if that, um, you know, the, the, the lying, actually, the, the, the action of lying is understood to actually be quite unwholesome, and that there's no way that the Buddha understands, there's no way to actually lie without having some kind of greed, aversion, or delusion behind it. So there's, there's no way to completely lie. There's no way to lie from a completely wholesome motivation. So there will be some kind of consequence to that lie. Now, you know, the, there's a, a the, one of the classic examples around this is like, you know, if, if, um, you know, in Nazi Germany, uh, um, somebody, a, a Nazi officer came to the door and asked if you were hiding Jews, and you were, you know, you, you, I would lie. <laughs> um, the consequences of that action, there is. There's a small. There's a small portion of that that has a negative consequence. You know, so there's a small portion of the of the greed, aversion, delusion that, that has a negative consequence. Maybe simply the fear of having lied to a, 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 an officer. You know, that's a consequence. That's that's a that's rebound, but the um, there's wholesome motivation behind that action as well, to protect the lives of of of, of people, and that wholesome motivation you know comes into play here. <laughs> so it's um, it, again, it's not so simple as just simply you know do this, don't do that. It it's looked at in a much broader way. But there is some consequence from that unwholesome action. And as I said, it may just simply be fear in the moment. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. yeah, Diana.
0: Thank you, Andrea. This is, this is on, right? Um, when I hear the expression reward and punishment, what comes to mind is that there has to be an external entity that is doling out the reward or doling out the judgment. Yes. This is bad. This is good. You will be punished. You will be rewarded. But that's not my understanding of Buddhism. So I I just wanted to know if you, I would just invite you to maybe comment on that, this idea of an external I don't know what the word is. uh, Entity that yeah. rewards or punishes versus how it is in Buddhism.
1: Yeah, um, so th- th- that is that is kind of one of the key differences, I think, in in um, the way Buddhism understands this. That um, you know that that as I said, it's not there's not an external. It's it's kind of just embedded in the the, the law of living beings. You know, it's not an external. Thing that's imposed on us either by society, you know, society functions by reward and punishment, you know, you do this, you go to jail, you know, it's that's. But there, there is that kind of notion of an external entity um, deciding what the rewards and punishments are. And in this case, it's not any entity or being, it is just the, the natural, it's understood to just be a natural law. You know, that um, um, these, these conditions, these actions, produce consequences. Um, I don't know if there's more um, to say. Um, I, for me, it's really helpful to, you know, take the notion of some judging entity out of the picture with respect to karma. And to just really think about it is okay, this is just the natural results. This is nature, given, given what's happened. And, and actually, this has been a very freeing thing for me. You know, when I find myself in a state of despair or suffering, uh, I remember on one retreat, um, well, I'll tell this story, because it, it was kind of a, a helpful... It was a, t- it was a moment when I actually recognized how causes and conditions come together to create experience and how freeing it was to have that recognition. So I was on a retreat and um, um, I was feeling kind of lonely and it was, you know, a silent retreat. It was a, one of my earlier silent retreats and, you know, nobody talks to you for a week. <laughs> So there was a little bit of loneliness, a little bit of depression, and and I looked around the lunchroom, and I saw somebody that looked kind of familiar and kind of friendly, and I thought, oh, I'll just sit down next to that person, you know, that would feel nice, you know, I can't say anything to them, I don't even really know them, but I could know, just sit in, sit in their field of energy, that would be nice, and so I sat down next to that person, and I was feeling a little bit of, you know, letting go, easing of the of the loneliness, and And then somebody came and sat down across from the person that I sat down with and they made eye contact and they smiled and nodded at each other. And this sent me into a tailspin. (laughs) It's like the loneliness just came in full force and then there was all this judgment that also came in because they were both... I was pretty new in the practice at that point. These two were both very... um, very experienced practitioners, We'd both been practicing for well, 15, 20 years, you know, they were very, very experienced practitioners, and we had been instructed not to make eye contact, you know, the instructions in the retreat, don't make eye contact, <laughs> and there they were, these experienced practitioners making eye contact and smiling at each other, and, and I, I was angry, and I was hurt, and I felt dismissed, and I felt excluded. And all of the stuff just came up. And it was like being, you know, in high school again. You know, that's what it felt like. Um, and that was a pattern for me. I felt very excluded in, in, in high school. I didn't, you know, find my way into um, having a lot of friends. So, so I just went into this crashing of, of depression. And, and as I was... Um, I went back to my room and I was paying attention to my experience. It was a meditation retreat, so I was was noticing my experience. I was noticing um, the the difficulty, the struggle, all of this. And somehow, too, I recognized that there was a lot of history that came into this. It wasn't simply the event. You know, that there was some way that I had been in the past, some um, conditions from the past that came into this moment that also uh, impacted how I was experiencing this moment. And there was a phrase that had been used a lot by Joseph Goldstein on that retreat. He had used the phrase, causes and conditions, causes and conditions, causes and conditions impact our experience. And I really saw in that moment, um, oh, of of course I feel like this. You know, this is is the natural consequence of everything that's happened to me in the past coming into this moment. And as I saw that, as I kind of saw that, oh, of course, this is just a natural result. That feeling of despair and loneliness and abandonment and isolation and rejection all went away, it lifted, and it was replaced by this just feeling of, oh, of course it's like this. And there was just a feeling of, of peace. So that, that was a kind of a, um, a, a recognition around you know, the impersonality of this process of karma. And that it's the choice in the moment now, at this moment, that, that we can, that directs our, not only our experience now, as that, that, that example shows. You know, in that moment of recognizing how causes and conditions came into play, in that very moment, there was a, le- a, a great lessening of the suffering that I was experiencing, and that also sends us in the direction that that learning, that wisdom, that mindfulness, the practices send us in the direction towards greater and greater understanding and greater and greater freedom from our suffering. So, other other questions? Yeah, in the back. And um, somebody pass a mic back. Is, is that on by... Yeah. There's a button on the side. It should be green. Oh, there it is. Okay. Hello? Great. All right, there we go. It's <laughs> a lot easier. Um, so one of the things that I've noticed is when I um, talk to people that are... I'm going to phrase it out of line or they may be aggressive or in some particular way just negative. Um, I find that when I try to point that out to them, that I almost assume that negativity myself. It's almost like that intention, that good sort of compassion intention of mine, becomes negative. Uh huh.
0: Uh-huh. And it's almost it's like this weird cyclical thing. Like I don't I don't know if I assume their their emotional state or whatever, but it feels like I'm not impartial enough to say, "Wait a minute, stop." Uh huh. Um, how do you? How do you how do you prevent that? I mean, is there, it, so that's helpful.
1: that's a great question, a great world, real life yeah, <laughs> example yeah. here. You know, it is so true that you know when we are are meeting energy. I mean, you know, if somebody's angry or frustrated or or annoyed. You know, it it it's contagious, um, and so it's it's really helpful to recognize that contagiousness, and even if. You know, so the first, the first thing I'd suggest is, um, you know, in terms of speaking, to recognize that you have been... that it's been caught, <laughs> you know, you've caught that energy, and that maybe this isn't the time to try to point it out to them. Perhaps another time, you know, when you've settled down, when they've settled down, to go back and say, you know, that conversation we had a couple days ago this is what happened for me and you know this wasn't so helpful if you know maybe let's talk about this a little bit so to 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 get out of the reactivity before responding that that would be helpful it'll also allow you to notice how contagious that is and to kind of allow that to wash through you without acting out of it so yeah i mean it's a, it's a great exploration and in daily life we can begin to um, to stop, you know, this is, this, is a, this is a real helpful part of the mindfulness practice. As we, we engage in the mindfulness practice, we can begin to recognize when we are starting to act out of some of these unskillful motivations and maybe choose otherwise. It's very powerful, this moment of recognizing that we're getting ready to act you know, that We can we can know we're going to speak before we speak. We can know we're going to move before we move. And in that knowing, that moment of knowing that we're about to speak or about to move, we can recognize, we can kind of see the climate of our minds and decide in this moment, is this a, is this a good motivation to act or speak out of? So, um, it takes time. It's and it won 't always be accessible, <laughs> but it 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 is a practice that does build steam it does it kind of has a um, a snowball effect you know it it It, it accumulates the more we um, take that kind of an, uh, a moment to pause, the more we can begin to see things more quickly and and kind of get a sense even you know just get a kind of a visceral feeling of. Tension or ease in our body, you know, knowing that sometimes when we're tense, maybe that, maybe that indicates a, a moment of pause. is something else to pay attention to. If there's ease, then, you know, we don't need to do a lot of analysis here. We can kind of just take this simple, you know, tension, ease, tension, ease. And if there's ease, then trusting that what will come will be wholesome, now, another thing that I should uh, bring in is that uh, the Buddha's teaching to his own son, which is also um, in this realm of of understanding the teaching of karma. His son was seven years old when apparently he had told a lie. And um, the Buddha said, you know... The Buddha basically gave him a little lecture on lying and pointing out that this is not a good thing to do, that, you know, you know that... Wholesomeness is thrown away when we tell a lie. And then he went on to say, you know, he gave some guidelines to his son for acting. He said, you know, before you act, think about whether this is going to cause affliction for yourself or others, or both. If it is, then don't do it. So that's the pause before we act. He says, if you don't see that it's going to cause affliction, then do you can you can do that action. But then he said, but pay attention while you're acting. See if affliction is happening, if there's suffering happening in yourself or others. If it is, then stop that action. And he, he doesn't even go there. He, but he says, but if you don't see affliction, then continue. And then he says, after you've done an action, you may also, you, you also want to look back and say, was there some kind of harm that was done? And in that case, you know, there's... there's um, you know, it's, not, it's not about beating ourselves up in retrospect. You know, it's not about saying, oh, I did that thing and look at this harm that resulted. I'm a bad person. It's more about learning. Learning a, a lesson. Learning what is it that I didn't understand. You know, I was, you know, Even if I had been checking all along, is this going to cause harm? Is this going to cause harm? I may not have known that it was going to cause harm. And then I see it caused harm. There's something to learn there. I'll give you another example about this—a very poignant example. I've used it in this class before, so some of you have heard this. Um, there's a story about a naturalist. Um, when he was 11 years old, his name is David Brower, and when he was 11 years old, he was he was very he was he was a, a natural a natural naturalist. You know, he was collecting butterflies, and he had he had a a, a bunch of these chrysalis. He had some chrysalides, and um, chrysalids he had some chrysalids and they were about ready to open the butterflies were about ready to emerge and he watched the first one you now that the, the chrysalid split open and the butterfly you know the wings of the butterfly the butterfly kind of started struggling out and the, there was this kind of great effort that the butterfly made and there was this liquid that had poured out of the abdomen and kind of flooded over the wings and there was this great struggle that the butterfly went through to break open this chrysalid and then it you know finished and it flew away and as the other chrysalid started to break open this 11 year old boy thought he would make himself useful and spare that butterfly the struggle so he gently eased open the crack of the chrysalid and those butterflies slid out of the cocoons walked around on the ground for a little while and died. So what he he his motivation was compassion but there was some ignorance there he didn't understand that the struggle that the butterfly had to go through that that fluid needed to be pumped out of its abdomen and the struggle spread it over its wings that would enable it to fly. And so there was something that needed to be learned there when he saw that his action produced Affliction. It 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 produced an unfortunate result there. It's not that he should beat himself up, he didn't know, but taking that as a lesson to learn from that. And so that's the way I look at this teaching to his son. You know, we, we look, we look before, we stop, we, we evaluate is this a skillful action? Keep going. If we're acting, we stop if if it seems to be unskillful, or keep going if we don't see that unskillfulness and afterwards we look at the result and if there has been some kind of affliction or suffering for any being as a result of that action learn what you didn't understand see if you can take that as as a learning mm. it's it's time to stop <laughs> so thank you for your um, participation and your attention And I will continue with the second noble truth next week.